Hello, and thank you for tuning in to New Glasgow Christian Church. My name is Stephen Weatherby, and I'm the pastor here at NGCC, a small rural church with a big heart located in central Prince Edward Island, Canada. Christmas is a special time of year. From time with family, twinkling lights, and joyful music, there are so many special memories and moments to be shared in with those who we love. But more than everything else, Christmas is the time that we remember and celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so as we celebrate this holiday season, we hope that these Advent messages will be a heartwarming reminder of the love that God has for each and every one of us. Thank you for tuning in, and Merry Christmas. Something that is always especially notable at this time of year is the way in which music has a unique ability to move us. For most of us, there's at least one song that will immediately make you feel a certain way or bring back a specific memory so vividly that it's like it just happened. Songs connect our personal experiences to more universal human experiences, and they're powerful in shaping our emotions and beliefs. In the case of Mary's famous song in Luke chapter 1, we may not hear it as music or as a song today when we read it, but we do have a sense of the poetic nature of her words, words which are full of deep theology, passionate faith, and dependence on God. In last week's message, we saw the power of Mary's yes to God's frightening and dangerous plan. Today, we see a powerful example of her corresponding no. When Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth and sees the confirmation of the words of the angel Gabriel that her cousin was pregnant, Elizabeth responds with these famous words to Mary, Blessed are you among women. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Mary responds to this with what has been traditionally called the Magnificat, which is her song of trust in God's plan and a description of God's faithfulness to turn the established order of the world on its head. Her yes to God's plan is followed by proclaiming in song God's no to injustice and oppression. Mary knew the story of God's faithfulness, and she knew it well. She knew how God had worked in the past, and she knew that he is faithful to keep his promises. Mary knew God's redemptive work through history well enough to respond to his call and to take her place in the story. So, Mary just received and accepted the news from the angel Gabriel, and then the angel leaves her, and that is where we're picking up this morning, right where we left off in last week's message. So starting in verse 9, it says, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, The baby in my womb leapt for joy, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. 
And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her for about three months and then returned home. Now, you've probably heard this story or this song of Mary at Christmas before. It's been set to music over the course of time. My wife and I heard it at a concert at a basilica a few years ago. It was sung in Latin with a full orchestra, and it was quite something. But when you even read these words, you can tell that this song of Mary is significant. You can feel its significance when you read it. Not only is it a powerful work of theology from an unlikely source in those days, a young woman, but it is also significant because of the way in which Mary's words speak with confidence and authority in a way which describes the ministry of Jesus which was yet to come. When you read through this song, something becomes very clear, and that is that Mary knew the story of God's faithfulness throughout history. In Bible college, we were kind of taught not to think of the Bible this way because there was so much emphasis on learning how to study it in its context. We had to identify the type of writing. First of all, is it a gospel, a letter, a historical record? Is it poetry? And then you learn about the people it was written to. You learn about the person who wrote it. You learn about the situation they were writing in, what the situation they were writing to. These are all important things to do. And it's important to learn. But there's also a danger in focusing too much on this. There's a danger in zooming so far into a text that you forget to zoom back out. Yes, the Bible is a collection of writings by different authors, different types of writing, different cultures. But it is also all of it, the inspired word of God. And it tells a story, one story. To get technical, this is what is called the grand meta-narrative of Scripture. And as you begin to read all of these writings as a unit, it becomes more and more clear that while it is a collection of separate writings written by different authors in different styles and different times, there is still a story that runs throughout all of these writings. And it's not just any story, it's a well-written story with a discernible plot. Have you ever heard of Freytag's Pyramid? This would be going back to English class in high school. You see, every good story has a plot, and that plot usually follows the pattern on this pyramid. Uh, it starts off with the introduction or exposition, and then there's some kind of inciting incident that sets things off. Uh, the conflict has been introduced, and then the plot um, enters this rising action. And then there's a climax, then it comes back down, and then it ends. And that is Freytag's Pyramid. 
So in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we have the introduction or exposition of the plot. This is the setting of the stage for the story. Typically, the world is as it should be to one level or another in the introduction of a narrative until the conflict arrives and disrupts everything in the form of some inciting incident, which, of course, in the case of Scripture, is the fall in Genesis 3. The conflict has been introduced. From here, the plot thickens more and more as we progress through the rising action, introducing more and more conflict that builds on each other. Now, in the greater narrative of Scripture, this is the period from the fall in Genesis 3 to the arrival of Jesus in the Gospels. This includes all the highs and lows along the way, and the search for a way back to that relationship with God. And amidst all of this, a spiritual war is raging. And it just builds and builds and builds until finally we reach the climax with the arrival of Jesus. Jesus is not just the pinnacle of a story, but of all history. There's this big showdown in which it appears initially that Jesus has lost. And then the unthinkable happens and Jesus rises from the grave, overcoming all of the conflict and action up to this point. It is an ultimate victory. However, in any well-written story, there is not an immediate shift from the climax or pinnacle to the resolution and conclusion. There is in between what is called falling action. The victory is won. The hero of the story has prevailed over the conflict. But there's still all these loose ends to tie up and settle. That is where we are today. Jesus has already won. But he wants to give us time so that as many as possible will turn to him before everything is wrapped up. And then finally comes the resolution and conclusion. And this is what we see in Revelation chapter 21 and 22, the last two chapters of Scripture. This is the happily ever after, when the hero gets the girl and rides off into the sunset. And in the grand narrative of Scripture, this is when Jesus rides off into the sunset with his bride, the church. You see, the Bible is a collection of writings, yes. But it is not just a collection of writings. It is also a story, and a well-written one. In fact, I can't help but wonder if the reason we are so drawn to stories with this specific type of plot is because it reflects the story of humanity and the deep yearning we all have for resolution and wholeness. Now you may be wondering, what does all of this have to do with Mary? Well, Mary knew the story. She knew the story up to this point. She knew how it all began. She knew about the inciting incident, the fall. She knew the covenants that God had made with his people. She knew that God keeps his promises. And like every good story, in that rising action, there was foreshadowing and hints through the narrative that came through the prophets that pointed to what was coming. And so she knew the story well enough that she could see where she was, that she was in the pinnacle moment or the climax of the plot. She knew these things well enough that she could see the big picture of what God was doing in the present through the child inside her. And so she gives this song. Because of these things, Mary had what so many others around her were lacking, 
And that is a full and complete trust in God's continuing faithfulness. There's almost a prophetic way in which she speaks the words of this song. Sometimes translation doesn't do us justice. Her name, Mary, is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew name Miriam, like the sister of Moses, who rejoiced over the salvation of Israel at the Red Sea, also with a song. And so when we read this song, we should see that Mary is not just describing her hope, but of salvation. She is speaking as if the transformation and redemption has already taken place. She's speaking in the present tense. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has filled the hungry with good things. When Jesus begins his ministry in Luke 4, we see him quote very similar words from Isaiah. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Mary had so much trust and faith in God's continuing faithfulness that she sang about these things as current realities even though her child had not yet been born. She did not need to see the result to know that it was already a guarantee. And what incredible promises of reversal they are. Now this isn't a very Christmassy example, but consider the dictator of North Korea, Kim Jong-un. He has absolute authority in his country. He is able to eliminate anyone who might pose a threat to his power, including executing members of his own family. His authority is only possible because the majority of his subjects live in poverty and fear. Absolute authority for some also always requires total vulnerability for others. It's that kind of dynamic right there that Mary's powerful words of reversal are addressing. Rather than just switching who is in charge, God's plan of reversal is one in which the oppressors are tumbled from their seats and the oppressed are liberated. And that does, at surface level, sound a lot like what our society is facing uh, and fighting for these days. But there's a key difference in the strategy. Because while our culture wants us to believe that the answer is in things like activism and social justice, God's plan of reversal comes through a man named Jesus, his son, and through the transformation of our hearts and souls through his spirit. Our culture wants us to take up arms to fix the symptoms of the problem without addressing the root cause, sin. But God's plan of reversal does all of it. Now, we haven't seen the final fulfillment of this yet, but we know it's coming. How do we know it's coming? Because God has told us so, and God is faithful to his promises. And when we forget that, we can learn from Mary's example. Because Mary trusted in God's faithfulness. She knew that this fulfillment was coming. And she was so confident in it that she spoke of it as if it were already here and as if it had already taken place. And we should have that same level of confidence and faith today. Mary was willing to not just proclaim God's plan of redemption, 
but also to take her part in the story. Her song proclaims the works of God in the past, and his promises and covenants as fulfilled and kept in both the past and the present. She was willing to take her part in the story because she knew who God was. She knew the promises he had made, and she could see how his redemptive acts in the past directly led to the present and future. Her powerful theological statement in this song is not just a theoretical reminder for us of God's ultimate plan of redemption. It's a reminder that even in our everyday lives, vocations, jobs, that we have an opportunity to proclaim the truth of God's redemptive story. And we have an opportunity to take our place in it too. Mary is given a task which is both dangerous and ordinary. She may face social backlash from this event, but she's also signing up for a common vocation of parenting a child. Her response is nothing ordinary. Her response to this situation is to proclaim this grand theological statement about God's plan of reversal. She knows what this reversal means. It's a big deal. Not just for her, but for her people, for her son, and for the whole world, for generations to come, for every generation to come. She knew this. And so she was ready to take her place in the story. And so as I conclude, let me just say this. If we are also willing to learn the story of God's faithfulness and his redemptive work, both throughout past history, here in the present, and what is promised in the future, then we will also be ready to take our part in it. Because when we learn the story, we will realize that he has always been faithful. When we learn the story, we will realize that Christmas did not come out of nowheres. This event, the birth, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus, it is the climax of the grand meta-narrative that is all of history, our story. It is the ultimate display of God's faithfulness to his promises and to his people. And when we realize and see that he has always been faithful to his promises and to his people, we will know with confidence he always will be faithful. When we look at the world around us, broken though it is, we will know that he is making all things new and that all of these present sufferings will pass. And that is a guarantee. So learn the story. Trust in God's plan and take your place in it with confidence. Thanks for tuning in. We hope that this week's teaching was a blessing and an encouragement to you. If you live in the New Glasgow area, we would love for you to come out and to join us for our Sunday gathering. For information on service times, location, and more, check out our website at ngcc.ca. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening and have a great week.